0: of fits right in with this morning we're going to continue our series agents of faith um, you know over the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, truly common people common people but because they're just like you and me and I think it helps us to really understand that you know uh, these uh, Noah and you know Moses and these guys I mean they were regular people okay what was special was they were willing to be faithful and obedient to the call of God in their lives and they they obeyed without questioning they 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 did it and because of this faithful obedience to God God was able to use them to do uncommon things right he was able to use them in really powerful ways so today we're going to continue that we're going to move into the New Testament and we're going to look at John now I don't know about you but when you know I knew I was going to preach on John, I had to clarify, just like maybe you would, you know, there's several Johns in the Bible. Okay, so just exactly which one were we going to talk about today? I mean, because, right, there's John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah, there's, and he was the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, There's John, who was also known as John Mark, right? He was one of the guys that went along with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys, and uh, and then, and, and he wrote, he authored the Gospel of Mark. Okay, but then there's John, the brother of James, the two sons of Zebedee. And this is the John that we're going to talk about. Okay, uh, this is the John that was called by Jesus to be one of the disciples. Okay, and and uh, and and so you know we tend to call him John the Apostle. Okay, and that's who we're going to look at today. Now, interestingly enough, in in a lot of scripture, what how you hear about John is it's John, or, or it's James, and his younger brother John. Okay, and uh, now these guys were um, were both they were sons of Zebedee. Okay, and uh, they were commercial fishermen. That's what they were. Um, So now, this John we're going to talk about is also the John who, so later in his life, he authored the Gospel of John. He also authored 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if that wasn't enough, near the end of his life, he authored, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Revelation. The last book of the Bible. So, let's take a first few minutes here, before we get to that, And let's take a look at John and see how that video that we just saw applies to him, okay? Because who he was later in his life is not who he was earlier in his life. Um, You know, um, so let's start out by first with these uh, first few, you know, this early part of his life. Uh, Let's see the first significant thing that we know about John, and that's when he was called to be a disciple, Okay? So we're going to read Mark 3, verses 13 to 19. Mark 3, 13 to 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Then he appointed Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That in naming the 12 disciples, the first disciple he named was Simon, but, but then, which in Simon's name means hears and obeys. But Jesus gave him a new name. He changed his name to Peter. And Peter means rock. Rock. Throughout history, naming a child has been part of actually calling them into their destiny. Uh, if you changed someone's name, that, that could only be done by someone more powerful than the one. I mean, they had to have the power to to make that so. And so, uh, when Jesus changed Peter's name, and he changed that, what he actually did was he changed his destiny. He became the rock. Obviously, Peter knew. You know, Peter. Uh, Jesus knew Peter was going to need that name to get through the things that would be ahead of him. But then, the very next names in that list of twelve were James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. and it says that he gave them the name Bonerges. right it was, like we said, it said means son of thunder. Now all the others, he just named them, but he didn't you know didn't change their names. So I have a question for you. Why do you think he would name James and John sons of thunder? Why do you think? They were ready for, for action. They must have. They must have been. I think that's a very polite way to say it. You're. I. Re, she's in church, so she says, "Yeah, they're energetic, very dynamic personalities." Would anybody be brave enough to say they must have been kind of loud? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think they might be given to yelling a little bit, and you know, kind of noise. I mean, obviously. Jesus giving them a name like Sons of Thunder means that these were not timid, shy little guys. But we know that they couldn't have been because the fact is, these guys were tough, hard-working fishermen. Obviously, they weren't afraid to make a little noise. But then let's also remember, I mean, let's try to put these guys in logical, realistic context of the day. These were, uh, These were also self-promoting entrepreneurs. They had a business to run. They had a business that one day they were going to inherit from their father Zebedee and would, would continue to run themselves and would be able to then pass that business on along to their sons as well. So I'm pretty confident that James and John were guys who didn't hold back once they got back to shore competing for customers to sell their daily catch. To say the least, John and his brother as commercial fishermen were no doubt, at very least, a little rough around the edges. They obviously believed in Jesus sufficiently though to respond to his call. And think about this. They believed what Jesus said sufficiently to be willing to to walk away from their family business and even their father. But even though they did that, they still looked and acted a lot more like commercial fishermen. Okay, so let's talk about a little sometime later in Mark 9, verses 2 through 8. In Mark 9, verses 2 through 8, six days after, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. They were all alone. There he was. Uh, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It says Peter didn't know what to say because he was so frightened. I think he would be. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, and it said, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. In this passage, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John along and allows them to witness his transfiguration. What an honor. How incredible, right? What an experience. However, they must not have been giving full attention to what was going on around them since God actually speaks to them and tells them to listen to Jesus. Honestly, my paraphrase of that kind of goes like, guys, you need to talk less and listen more. Yet, in spite of this command, in spite of God telling them to listen to Jesus, apparently these three got a little bit kind of puffed up about their experience up on the mountain with Jesus because scripture tells us that when they got back to the other nine they got into an argument about who was going to be the greatest Mark 3 mark 9 verses 33 to 35 says when they came to Capernaum when they were when he was in the house he asked them Jesus asked them what were you arguing about along the road but they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and be servant of all. Look, John and the others had it backwards. If they really wanted to be great in the kingdom, they needed to be like servants. If they wanted to be great, they needed to be more childlike. If they, instead of this fighting and arguing with each other and kind of putting each other down... They needed to take on more of that gentle role as servants. But this was a lesson about true love, and, and it's that love that manifests in service to other people. We, we know that because 1 Corinthians 13, four and five tells us that love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It doesn't boast about who's gonna be the greatest. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, and it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Basically, this verse tells us that a gentle, loving person filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't act like Jesus' disciples were acting at that moment. Clearly, Jesus' team, including John, still had some growing and maturing to do. Yet not long after that, one more time, we read in Luke 9, verse 49, uh John comes up to Jesus and says, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop them because he's not one of us. I mean, John told Jesus, I came across a guy. He was driving out demons, Jesus, in your name. And it was working. And it was working. But since he wasn't special like us, I told him to stop. Jesus immediately responded in Luke 9, verse 50. He said, well, don't stop him, Jesus said, because whoever's not against us is for us. Look, there were a number of these kind of moments and incidents in John's life where his temper or his ego earned him some level of correction from Jesus. Yet, here's the thing. At that same time, I mean, look, okay, can let's just be real for a second, okay? Have any of us ever gotten in trouble in our lives, like, maybe more than once? Now, do you know what I mean? Like, like you can go back to when you were a kid, or you might be yesterday. I don't, you know, it could be. But, but, where, but where you've needed to be corrected more than once about something, because maybe you didn't want to get it. Maybe you didn't get it. Maybe you didn't want to get it for a while, because you kind of wanted to keep doing what you were doing. Whichever way it is, whichever way it is, when you look back now at those moments of correction, whether it was from parents or family or teachers or friends or whomever loved you enough to correct you, aren't you glad they did? Aren't you glad they didn't give up? Aren't you glad after a couple of things they didn't say, you know what, I've had enough of trying with you? Don't you think John was glad of that? Yeah. Okay, so... But because here's the thing, and we see this with John going forward, is with each of those moments, did, it never says John argued with Jesus. It never says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. No, that wasn't me, that was James or that was Peter. You know, he, he, he receives it. Okay? And so, what happens when we continue to accept correction and receive it, little by little, step by step? John was beginning to change. The biblical meaning for John is God is gracious. God is gracious. And I think that was certainly true for John because no matter how many times this sons of thunder acted out of line and didn't really, you know, pick up on the message Jesus was trying to teach him at that time, his heart was slowly changing. Because in fact, God is gracious John's heart had been redeemed we know that he was a follower of Jesus what took him a while was just like what it takes for all of us and that is to become more like Jesus in how he thought and how he acted and how he spoke in fact really the first very concrete sign we have of this transformation in his heart, in in the way he acted, was right in the middle of Jesus' crucifixion. When we look at John 19, verses 25 to 27, it says that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said, woman, here is your son. And he turned to the disciple, and that was John, and he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Only a few moments after Jesus spoke those words, in John 19, verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, gave up his spirit, As far as we know from Scripture, John was the only disciple who was like close-up eyewitness of of Jesus' crucifixion. Over the past three years, John, this son of thunder, had obviously learned the lessons that he needed to learn and had been transformed in his life as far as love, compassion, and mercy. All balanced with the truth of God's word. And here's how we know it. Here's how we know it. If this wasn't true, I would offer to you there is no way that Jesus would have used the last breaths he ever had on earth to specifically entrust the care of his mom to John. I mean, we talk about the importance of last words those was where Jesus' last words were actually to entrust the care of his mom to John. Over the years, because of John's consistent and failing love for, for John and the other disciples as well, spending time with Jesus had transformed John into a different guy, who now more frequently modeled the love that Jesus had been showing him all through that time. We see that really uh, pretty clearly. Again, after, pretty soon after Jesus' resurrection, uh, there's an account in Acts 4.13, in Acts where Peter and John are out preaching the gospel. And uh, they get arrested. And they get drug in before the Sanhedrin, the, the religious court, right? And the Sanhedrin, Acts 4.13, uh, when they had listened to John and to Peter, it says, when the Sanhedrin saw the courage Of Peter and John and they realized that they were just unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus here's the thing when you've been with Jesus you will not be the same you will not be the same you will be forever changed because you will become more like Jesus and just like the Sanhedrin People will notice it. People will notice it. They will take note of it. I don't know if you happen to notice, if you remember back up in that verse there by the cross where it talked about um, John, that, who authored this book, described himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Other places, uh, he also used the term the beloved disciple. Why do you think John called himself the beloved disciple, or the disciple Jesus loved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, This name is only used by John in the gospel of John, and not by any of the other gospel writers. And, and I think you're right. I, this, was, this was not like a statement of like I'm the guy Jesus loved. This was not like some statement of pride. In fact, I think it was exactly the opposite of that. I think John, over his life, he knew who he had been. He also knew who he was. And he knew what it took for him to get from there to where he was. I think this was like what you were saying, is this was not to draw attention to himself. In fact, there are a lot of scholars who think that John, in using this term, when he would write about a part he played, and he would, rather than say, and and I was there, he would say it was the disciple Jesus loved, was to try and actually make himself anonymous. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. What he wanted to draw attention to was that Jesus had loved him. He wanted to make a big thing about that. Look, John's purpose was to highlight that transformative power Jesus had had over his life. Since it was through God's love, it was through his love that John found truth. He found his true identity and his purpose in life. This term uh, was actually uh, intended to remind readers and himself that everyone who loves Jesus is truly loved, holy and holy and unconditionally. And as a result of that, you and me, all of us, as followers of Jesus, can legitimately refer to ourselves as disciples that Jesus loves. Okay, but what about you and me, right? Like, if, if we're really honest, aren't we all really a lot like John? You know, aren't we really? Uh, didn't we all come to Jesus one way or another, kind of damaged or very least rough around the edges? If nothing else, we were a little loud and noisy and you know, needed some help. okay? But isn't it right? if if being with Jesus could transform John, the Son of thunder, that tough, loud commercial fisherman, into the beloved disciple, can he do the same for you and me? Amen, yes, he can. That's exactly right, right? That's the good news, is that yes. So, as we've been talking about these, these people, these agents of faith, right, over then, let's just talk then, how can we become that same agent of faith like John did? Well, when we think about what we read about John, the first thing we gotta do, if we wanna become one of those powerful agents of faith like John, is we need to be willing to put aside everything to follow Jesus. I mean, really, James and his brother John, John and James, were set. Their father owned a business. That scripture tells us enough. No, it was thriving you know, sufficiently that besides family, he actually had employees. So they were going to eventually inherit that. Now, look. They, that may not have made... I don't know if that made them rich or not, okay? But I think we can certainly say that they were set up by, for success by the standards of the day. They had their own business. Yet, one call from Jesus, one call from Jesus, and something in their hearts must have exploded. Whatever it was, it was sufficiently compelling that they willingly... Walked away from a secure future and even leave their father. This first step that John took, that's not trivial. That's not trivial. Being willing to put aside everything. Sincerely, we have to ask ourselves, no matter who we are or how old we are or whatever we think we do or do not have to offer. What am I willing to give up? What what would I be willing to give up or walk away from or leave behind in, in, in order to answer the call of Jesus? What friends may I need to leave behind or what sacrifices am I willing to make? What James and his brother John did and walked away from was not trivial. So what if you were called to do the same? That's the first thing. We have to decide and to be willing to put aside everything in order to follow Jesus. The second thing is we need to be willing to allow God to use you immediately, immediately. Let God work through you now as you are. God look, let's, let's remember this about each of us. God doesn't make mistakes. God knew what he was doing, and he knew who he was getting when he called John. He wasn't surprised. And you know what? He knew what he was doing, and he knew who he was getting when he called you. That means no matter who you are, doesn't mean whatever your past is. It doesn't mean whatever your current level of scripture knowledge is. It doesn't matter whether you've been in a hundred Bible studies or you've never been to one. Or any other thing. If you surrender your life to Jesus and become his follower, just like John, he's got things for you to do. He's got things for you to do Immediately. Immediately. When Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say, well, now I'm going to put you over in school for the next year. They started walking with him daily and working with him immediately. Look, I understand that some of us, you know, some people's pasts may be painful for you. Your experiences, though, may allow you to relate and to understand some other people who have the same background, who have the same experiences. These are people who can't imagine how God could ever love them or accept them. But you can, because you've been there. And you can tell them. If your heart is open to allow God to guide your steps, then you can decide in advance that you will walk through the doors that he opens and presents to you Because the opportunities for God to use you are just on the other side. By the way, your current assignments from God may be quite different from your ultimate calling and assignments. And that kind of leads us to number three. And that is to be patient, be patient. Allow God the time and the freedom to fully transform you. He can use you immediately. But with each day with him. You become a little more like Jesus. Which means you become a little more capable to even do other things. Greater things. Allow God to do this transformation work in your life. Because some assignments that he may want to give you later on. Will re- they require more experience and maturity than you might currently have. If you compare young John, the fisherman-turned-disciple, with the mature-aged patriarch John, you'll see that as he, as he matured, his greatest weaknesses were all redeemed and transformed into some of his most enduring strengths. Here's the thing. God is an expert in transforming our liabilities into assets. One clear example of this is that as John grew older and wiser, he came to a better understanding that his zeal for truth, because a lot of the things he wrote are very black and white. It's very it, John, book, The Gospel of John is full of, It's not, there's no gray, OK? But yet, what he had learned by then was that it's balanced by love for people. John's a perfect example of what should happen with each of us, in each of our lives as we grow and mature in Christ, allowing the Lord's strength to be made perfect in our weaknesses. John's early years, he and James approached Jesus in Mark 10:35. James and John go up to Jesus and they say, "Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. In John's later years, I believe what he would have more likely said then is, Lord, help us to do whatever you ask. Three years with Jesus transformed John forever no longer loud, ego-driven son of thunder, but transformed into a man who would one day be entrusted with some of the most profound words ever recorded in Scripture. Think about it. It's this John, the loud commercial fisherman who later in life was able, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write... John 1, 1, the very first verse of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You can't even grasp that or understand it, much less write it, unless you've spent time with Jesus. And he had. And the Sanhedrin took notice and the world will take notice of you as well if you spend time with Jesus. I mean, and then it just goes on and on. Then later he wrote those New Testament letters of John 1, 2, and 3. And the incomparable book of Revelation. Look, John's patient and his enduring faith produced a maturity and wisdom and the ability for God to use him in even greater ways And isn't it amazing that John, because he allowed that, those words that he was able to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, are still affecting lives today. All because, who would have thought a loud, tough, rough, commercial fisherman with no special training, I mean, the Sanhedrin said it. Said, you know, know they took note. These guys were unschooled and, but what they had been is they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. And that's the same for us. It's the same for us. And his impact is still felt today. Okay. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? Just take a second. Bow your heads. Nobody looking around. Just take a minute. And and to ask God if there's anything that... He's calling on you like to walk away from or to put aside in order to fully follow Him. It may not be leaving a business. It just may be something that He's wanting you to lay down in order to fully follow Him. If there's anything like that in your life, just raise your hand. The Lord sees those. Or maybe today you've realized that you haven't been allowing God to use you right now, right where you are, with, with just what you currently know. If you're ready to commit to walk through any door of opportunity to serve God, that He would open before you, raise your hand. Lord, today, you've seen our hands. Lord, like we say, more importantly, what you've seen is our hearts, and you know, Lord, that we wanna be people, Father, that are willing to set things down that you don't want us to hold on to, to walk away from places you don't want us to go, and, Lord, we want to be people, though, Lord, that right now where we are, we don't, we don't give excuses. Oh, like I need better training. No, Lord, right now we want to be used by you immediately. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people, Father, that as you open any door of opportunity, Lord, that we would be people willing to walk through it. Lord, that opportunity may be across the hall, maybe across the street, maybe in the next cubicle. Could be around the world. Lord, wherever it is, I just pray that we would be willing to be available for you, to be your hands and feet with those that you would put in our path. We ask that now, Lord, in your precious and holy name. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church...